So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our page. And on Twitter, it's simply at Folk on Falcons. Right, so this week what we're going to talk about. Saracens, now a valiant and spirited defeat. We'll look ahead to London Irish. Uh, a little bit of chat about transfers, uh, maybe touch on the state of the game in Wales, and then maybe a bit of a chat about the Six Nations. So, without further ado, it was quite a weekend in London for the Northeast Sporting contingent. Um, reason we're a bit later this week isn't just our hangovers; we've been quite busy at work. But um, yeah, fantastic weekend in London. There were a few. I went down to Trafalgar Square, and there was a few Newcastle Falcons shirts thrown in amongst all the, the two armies. They'd obviously waddled down from what's it called now, the Stonex Arena after the game, and um, but certainly put a smile back on their faces being at. Trafalgar Square. And when you look at the score at halftime, you might have thought, oh, well, they wouldn't have had much of a smile on their faces at the Stonex. But certainly by full time, I think everybody in the ground would have had a smile on their faces. Saracens because they won, but Falcons because it was a spirited fight back and made a good game of it. Yeah, well, exactly that. Um, you know, it's not often you can come away from a, a loss feeling so positive, actually. But given the circumstances of who we were playing and, of course, what happened, um, over the 80 minutes. I think we have a lot to be pleased about. And I'm sure those who followed the game knew that we were, you know, we were again, unfortunately, a bit like Bristol, conceded early again, right on the back foot. We need to stop doing that. But then, you know, we we rallied and I thought we were we were on top. We, we, we kind of were controlling the game a bit. We were definitely well in it. But then, of course, the controversial incident in the game was Peterson's red card, um, which... I, don't know, I think we may have slightly different differing opinions on it. You think it perhaps is a red, uh, from what I heard from the radio, um, it, they were incredulous and they said it was a, you know, perhaps a yellow, but nothing more. And of course, that, that absolutely changed the game, didn't it? Because after that was a case of just kind of hanging on, um, we thought, like you say, at half time, all was going to be lost. But but what a second half, and that's really where the kind of the spirit show. Yeah, if we go to the red card instant, um, I wouldn't say it's a definite red, but. I certainly see them given. And um, what I, what just frustrates me is the consistency of decisions in the match because um, I'm pretty sure had that been a Saracens player tackling a Falcons player as opposed to the way around, it would have been probably only a yellow. And then later on in the game, Radwan did a fantastic bit of tracking back and made a brilliant turnover, an absolutely phenomenal turnover. And he just got garroted by one of the Saracens players. And the referee waved play on. The, vi- the video ref didn't bother getting involved. And it was so blatant. The only thing I can think of is that they didn't have the bottle to pull it back because they might have had to put the card in the pocket for a Saracens player and potentially suspense one. I don't know quite how all this sort of thing pans out, whether the video ref just watches the telly and then there might be a couple of replays on the telly and lo and behold, the referee calls it back. I don't know who whether they're just watching the TV or whether they have different camera angles or whatever, but certainly a few questions to be asked on that. But like you say, half-time or the rest of the first half, it wasn't head-in-your-hand stuff, but you thought, oh, it's going to be a long day at the office. But second half, I don't know what the team talk was, but to nil the top of the league table with 14 players and almost come away with the game if Blumeyer could catch it. Well, not necessarily, but it would have made a very interesting end if he could have caught it and walked in the corner. Yeah, fantastic fight back. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, I think it was kind of like the best half we've played for a very long time. And, you know, again, like we've said before, it's funny to be so positive after a defeat. But if you just kind of take that, that half individually in of itself, it was absolutely brilliant. You know, you can't fault any of those players whatsoever. And I obviously said Blumai, you know, he could have could have caught that. But I mean, that aside, 
you know, they're up to a man, they're all absolutely brilliant. And yeah, and I, I don't know, I wonder if they were fired up by perhaps a decision or they, they knew that, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're proud professionals, you know, they want to represent themselves in the club and they didn't want to be on the end of a pasting. You know, they wanted to kind of show what they were all about and, and they more than did that um, in that second half. And, um, you know, it's all about kind of taking that momentum, taking that performance into, you know, a very important home game at London Irish this weekend. But that second half, if you look at that, I mean, I wouldn't say you could write off the end of the, the first half, but, and, and also, like you say, it wasn't quite head in hands because they weren't that bad at it. Given the circumstances, it was going to be incredibly difficult. But you just, you did sort of think, well, you know, you know, this is it now, you know, how many Souths is going to get? But if we can take the performance, the heart from that second half performance and then bring it into London Irish at the weekend, then, you know, we could have a very, very good game on our hands. And that's the key, isn't it? You know, it, it feels in many ways almost like a sort of semi-victory, but it's not a victory. You know, we do have to start winning games, but, you know, it's a step in the right direction. And maybe it can be a bit of a, uh, at the very least, a mini turning point in the season. You know, we're over that halfway point, and sometimes, you know, in a long season, you get points like this where things kind of change, things can click, and let's hope that, that this is that for our case. And like I say, we can take that into the Irish this weekend. Yeah, it was also very encouraging to see players come with a bit of confidence. There was a few times in the match where you thought that, yeah, people are actually giving it a good go here. And I think one of the finest examples of that is Radwan's try, which is one of the smartest bits of rugby I've seen for quite a while and um, it reminded me of a quick line out he took a couple of seasons ago actually but that was um, a lot closer to the opposition's line where he, he um, I think he tackled on his touch as a penalty or something and he took a quick line out and I think it might have been Gary Graham or someone that ended up bundling over this time it was once again Mr Radwan being alert with the ball in his hand and although he was deep inside his own half he took a quick line out to Carl Ferns who took one step forward and swiftly passed it back to Radwan and you know, it's like no one's going to catch him. And he ran the rest of the length of the pitch and put it down without any trouble at all. And it was just nice to see a bit of confidence and things within the game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best we've seen Radwan for quite a while, actually. I think mean, he got more involved in the game. And maybe that 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 very fancy move with Ferns is kind of them trying to get him more involved in the game in any way they sort of can. Um, but yeah, I thought he was brilliant. I think him and Colin were the stars, I think. Colin again absolutely faultless from, from the kicking tee and like some of the English fly halves during the weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I say, especially that second half, you can't fault any of the players. All absolutely brilliant. But I think in particular, Radwan, it was really nice to see him get more of the ball, show confidence, like you say, and hopefully he can kick on as well. And not just him, but, you know, we can get him more involved because we know he's kind of like our star X Factor player. You know, he's had his new contract. He's now got another try not long after that. And so hopefully, you know, he can kick on and the whole team can kick on and help him get more tries, really, which is what he's there for. Yeah, I don't know whether it tends to do the cringeworthy Falcons fans TV clip of him, Blamire, and I think it was Charlie Madison that was leading it, but God knows which PR person decided to put them up to it. I thought it was quite good for that, actually. I thought that was it. <laughs> But I mean, I don't know, it's, it is a bit cringe movie, a bit silly, but I think it's kind of nice to sort of see see the players sort of not on the pitch, you know what I mean, sort of behind the scenes a little bit. I know I know uh, the football do that actually quite well with some of the stuff like that. I mean, maybe they're kind of replicating that a little bit. I thought it was good fun, but you're right. I mean, maybe it's a little bit a little bit silly and a bit cringy, but no, I thought it was quite good then, actually. I think you're right, it was Madison kind of leaving. It was like a forwards v back sort of thing, you know, the old thing, but... Uh, yeah, I thought that was quite good. I see more of that actually, but uh, we'll see. We'll see if they. I don't know how many views it's got. So I don't know if they judge 
how successful it is on that metric. But yeah, no, I thought it was quite good, actually. Well, it obviously must be because of some conspiracy theories after... Was it Radwan that passed the ball to Blumeyer when he threw it on the floor at the end? And then I think the, the bet was something along the lines of being photographed topless next to the Angel in the North or something at the end of it. Whoever scores fewer tries this season out of the pair of them. And then Radwan suddenly perks up and gets one length of the pitch. And I'm sure Blumeyer will try blaming the pass from Radwan, but I'm not sure he can quite get away with that one this week. Anyway, yeah, so the game finished. We got the losing bonus point, which um, from where we were at half time for 60 minutes, the match was. Uh, only 14 players, I think, um, like we said, everyone can be very proud of. But it's all very well getting lunas and bonus points. But next week, London Irish, that's the sort of game that we say we always say we should target. But when we were down at their place, they outplayed us and they've got a very good team. It's not the it's not the gimme that people kind of expect when you play against it, this outfit. Yeah, London Irish are a funny one because I think, you know, everyone who does follow the league knows that they are very good sides. Like I say, if you look at their look at their players they've got a hell of a lot of very good players but at the same time in the back of their mind you also think oh yeah no actually I'm quite confident we can get something from them whether it's home or away I think that's mainly down to the fact that they can be a bit inconsistent I mean when we were well beaten by them in the away game they got five points against us but they were still behind us in the league so it just goes to show how tight the league is and how quickly you know things can change but they were always kind of I felt in a false position I think a lot of people felt that too um and we we see I think they're well up the league now they're what about seven or seven for eight something like that I think that that is an accurate reflection of, of their quality at least actually because some of them were tipping them for top four and I think there was reason for that but um, again, I'm going to, you know, I'm, having just said that, I'm going to back that up by thinking, yeah, why not? I think we can get something from the game because London Irish actually aren't that great away. I'll go back to what I said before as well. You know, if we can take the level of performance and the confidence and the, the heart, the spirit from that Saracen second half into the home game, you know, let's not start slowly. Let's not concede a try in the first few minutes. Let's, you know, try and be on the front foot. Let's be disciplined. Let's try and get a try ourselves in the first few minutes, which would be nice. Um, you know, then then why not? I think it, it is winnable. You know, I think we're we're quite inconsistent as well. I mean, really, aren't we? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of the time we don't know which form seems going to turn up. And it, it, it has felt like a long time since we've had, had a win. I know in fixture terms, the Leicester win wasn't actually that, that long ago, but it does feel like a hell of a long time. And I think, you know, we can replicate that. And we have shown that we can do that. And London Irish are beatable. They, they, they certainly are special on the road. So I think we really, really can attack that. And I think... Importantly, they can take confidence from Saracens, and why not go go for it? You know, let, let's get a really important win because we need to start winning games if we are going to try and look at the table. Yeah, I go as far as to say, if we play like we played against Saracens in the second half, there's not many teams in the world, or not many teams in the world that could keep a clean sheet for a second half against Saracens, let alone the fourteen men. So let's take that into the the next match, and um, fingers crossed, um, keep moving in the right direction. On the league table now, uh, we'll come to it a bit later, but it's beginning to open up a bit. And I think that if we if we get five points, maybe four points against London Irish, then I think we're still just about in the mix that last Highland Cup spot. But um, I think if we if we don't get anything at the weekend, then we we are looking at um, the Challenge Cup again. Unfortunately, yeah, I think it is very much do or die. And I hope you know maybe I'm sure, but I also hope that everyone, the management and players, are aware that it is very much do or die if they want to be in the mix for, for that last Heineken Cup spot. Um, you know, they, they made things very difficult themselves with that win away, so with the defeat away to Bristol, because if they won that, 
picked up losing both ones against Saracens, we'd be looking at the Sunday Irish game thinking, you know, we can really cement our place here. It'd be sort of in our hands stuff. But I think now it's it's out of our hands and we just kinda of need to do what we can to try and stay in there. And we know we have in order to do that, we have to beat London Irish. But you know, take that aside. I just think for the for the fans as well, you know, we need more home wins. And this is a perfect, it's set up to be a perfect opportunity for us to, to get that win, not just in terms of the league table, but I think for the supporters as well, for everyone involved with the club, you know, we need this other win. It has been a hell of a long time since that Leicester game, and there hasn't been many home wins at all this season, actually. So, you know, l- let's chalk another one up. Certainly. And um, when it comes to attracting players next season, it's that sort of Highland Cup rugby that really brings in the big boys. We have made a couple of signings since we last spoke, both of them second row loose five forwards. Um, I have to admit, I don't know too much about them, although they seem to fit in the normal category that last year I think we signed everybody called Josh. This year, it seems to be everybody that used to play for Worcester or Wasps. So one of them's a Scot, and then the other one, he's English, but he's just come back from uh, Australia. What You've been swatting up a bit. What can you tell us about them? Yeah, so we'll start with the first signing, which is uh, Kieran McDonald. Now, actually, I was quite reasonably excited about the signing. Um, I've seen him a few times playing for Wasps. I've seen him a few times prior to that. and he, I mean, he's a... He's a he is a big lad, a big unit, but he also gets around. He's a real, really strong competitor, uh, especially in the breakdown. And he, he's brilliant at the line-out as well. I think it's a really good signing. I think he would slot in no problem for most premiership teams, actually. Um, and I think he, he will really, really strengthen us. I was really impressed. He also had a good show for the Barbarians not so long ago as well. Um, so that, that was a really exciting signing. The next one, uh, Tim Cardell. Again, another second row or perhaps more of a... I think he's a second row, but I think possibly slight back row as well, looking at his height. We'll, we'll see about that. But um, yeah, so it, again, you know, it's another one from the Wasp fallout, but he's been playing... He, well, he's going to start the season at Melbourne in the Australian Super Rugby. Um, so I think he's going to complete the season there, and then he'll come over to us next season. Um, I think that's have to say with McDonald, who's currently playing with well, Munster on a short-term contract. So they're obviously both signings for, for next season. Uh, which I guess really isn't that long away now, isn't it? We're over halfway. Um, but yeah, but I think it doesn't, you know, like, unfortunately, like we always say, when we have these signings or, or new contracts, what does that mean in terms of the outgoings? Because we have just signed two second rowers. So does that raise question marks over some of the existing second rowers? But I think in terms of the two signings themselves, I think they're positive. You know, I think they're, they're, they're decent players. You know, I know Ian McDonald's obviously a bit older, but, he is an established good player. And I think Cardell's got his best years ahead of him. And, he, you know, I think he was a good prospect at Wasps. And, you know, I think we're glad to have these players. I guess the obvious conclusion you can draw for signing two locks is there must be one, maybe two going out the door. Um, Peterson's heavily rumoured to be off, nothing confirmed yet. But it makes you wonder how many more games he's got in the black shirt, given that he looked enormously disappointed when he went off at the weekend. That's probably because he knew he was going to get a few games banned. It's not a huge number of games left in the season. And I do hope we get to see him again in Kingston Park and give him a good send-off, because the last few years he's been an excellent servant to the club. And we're, we're making a lot of presumptions here, but if we presume he is leaving, then I don't know when he'll next play for us, because they haven't actually announced his um, suspension yet. It's quite unusual that... We're recording this later than we usually do on a Wednesday evening. And um, normally the disciplinary hearings are released to the public by now, but there's not been anything from the weekend. It might just be they forgot about us because we're just the Falcons. No one cares. But um, it could be that something else is afoot. But for planning for this weekend's games, it's not ideal not to know what the suspension is going to be. 
I assume it's not going to be rescinded because it wasn't a wrong decision. It was just a harsh or unfair one. No, I expect there'll be the, the full whack unless, you know, it's one of these things where you get a week off for uh, doing a course or something, you know, or talk to a local school about high tackles or something like ridiculous like that. But uh, yeah, you're right. Nothing's been announced yet. And I, the club certainly haven't announced the period of suspension, but, uh, you know, you, you've got to imagine he'd be out for the next few games. But like you say, no confirmation of when he, of how many games and when he'll be back. Indeed, that's right. Um, so we talked about Falcons hoovering up players from Worcester and Wasps uh, went pop, obviously, this season. Professional rugby's really not in a good way across the border in Wales either. There's rumours of Ospreys merging with Ealing Trail Finders or some unfathomable situation with that. And then in the last couple of days, um seems like news is coming out of Cardiff that isn't too clever either. And if Cardiff end up um, going under or having to restructure something, you do really worry about it because then there'd only be two Welsh teams left. Yeah, I mean, well, to well document the serious problems. I mean, the whole furore with the Wales international players striking, you know, it's all related to the same issue because unlike in England, um, you know, in Wales, Scotland and Ireland, all these players are centrally contracted for the franchises, for the provinces, whatever you like to call them. Um, and and there is there are real money issues in Wales, and yeah, well, you know, we've spoken previously, and it's been in the press for a little while about uh, Ospreys and the potential merger of Ealing. You know, well, see what happens with that. But the point is, it's desperate enough for that to be considered. And now, like you say, pa- the past couple of days, seen news about Cardiff, where I believe it's a case where they just can't find the money to have a squad next season. Um, as things stand. So, you know, I think keep an eye on that, see how that one develops. But same with the Wasps and Worcester things, you know, there's no smoke about fire and generally once it gets to this stage, you do kind of worry, well, it's deadly serious and you kind of have to feel the worst. You know, to lose two of the Welsh provinces, it just, you know, I mean, I don't know what they'll do for sport there. I mean, I guess, could you have still have the two other provinces playing in, in the you know, in the URC, but it's just, it's just absurd. It's ridiculous. But yeah, so I mean, they're in serious trouble. We thought things were bad in England. Obviously, Wales would be massively worse because, of course, they have fewer clubs. So if you have half the clubs go there and then by next season, or in one form of, I suppose, Ospreys could be saved by the fact they merged with, with Ealing. But um, yeah, it, it's obviously not healthy at all in Wales. And but it's been brewing, hasn't it? We, we, I remember even a couple of years ago we've been talking about this with Wales about how there were, you know, rumours of sort of financial discontent and whatnot, and perhaps finally it's coming to a head. I can't help but think that once again it all boils down to the what is a club because if you remember in Scotland there was the Caledonian Reds and the Border Reavers that soon after coming into existence went out of existence, and then yeah, and if you remember in Wales when they first started off there, there used to be fifth team, the uh, Celtic Warriors, who I assume got subsumed into the uh, regions either side of it um, when they went pop. But if you look at the if you look at the rugby teams in the in the non English parts of the British Isles, you've got Edinburgh who used to play Murrayfield, couldn't fill it up, and had to buy or had to start playing in a smaller stand to make it look like it was full, and they don't get very large attendances. You got Glasgow, which even smaller attendances than that. You've got Wales where they've run out of money and they. The real allegiance in Wales is to the the valleys teams and the historical ones. It's not the it's not the regional teams that are the contrived ones. If if you ask a lot of people in Wales who they support, it'll be their local team, the one that played 30, 40 years ago. And then the only one that actually has really worked in is Ireland, where the provinces 
of very historic things in Ireland. You've got Ulster, Munster, Leinster, Connacht. And historically, Ireland's always been divided up like that. People have their allegiance. They've got their county. They've got their province in Ireland. And they're proud to go there and they're proud to represent them. And there's always been the matches between the provinces. And then you look at England where we haven't gone down kind of the centrally contracted route. And yes, relegation doesn't really exist anymore. But on the whole, they are the traditional clubs, more or less, uh, that have been able to financially sustain professionalism. Um, we've then got France, where a different model, but once again, it's not centrally funded in the same way the Celtic nations are. And you've got Italy, where it kind of is, but rugby's still only still getting a foothold, really, in that country. It's getting better. But I do sometimes think that the whole model's broken of the, the whole structure of professional rugby. It seems like there's too much debt and not enough cash coming in, and that's because, ultimately, there's not the fans that support the local teams. Well, that's exactly is it. I mean, we've spoken about this before, about how, you know, a rugby does not, cannot support, cannot sustain a professional level or at least superficially a professional league le- type of structure like, say, football does. It just isn't the, the money, isn't there? There isn't the support there. There isn't the audience for it. So you kind of, and it's interesting, the Celtic nations in England have obviously done it two separate ways. They've gone down two separate ways to kind of solve the same problem. You know, in England, they've kept the traditional clubs and tried to make it more exciting or if they would like to think, you know, by having more clubs and until very recently having the relegation promotion, the Celtic Nations obviously tried to play it safe and done it through these franchises to varying degrees of success. But it just goes to show that, you know, you can go separate ways, but you may just end up at the same point, really. And because at the end of the day, it's the same point because it's got the same problem. That is just there isn't the money there in rugby to sustain or to at least superficially sustain a high professional level. So yeah, and like I say, it's kind of they've come at the same point from two separate directions, really. And we'll just have to see over the next couple of years what happens. Maybe because there were England has a bigger population, there is more money in the English game. The English game could can see it through and survive it more than perhaps Wales can, which I think if you look at all the four nations, they're the ones in the most serious trouble. Um, and we'll just have to see, actually. But, but you know, we spoke about before about how these are very trying times for the sport, and particularly the professional sport. Yeah, it certainly is. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, while we're on the topic of the, the way different nations do things, um, England got one over on Wales on the pitch on Saturday. The match only just went ahead, obviously, the well-documented threats of strike action by the Welsh players. I still don't think that that was necessarily the... I don't know if I was the Welsh RF, you would have held them to it, sacked them all, and then got a load of the amateurs playing, a load of body and soul on the line to, to beat the English. You never know, they might have done a better performance because it, it was a pretty poor game all in. Not a high-scoring affair. Wales, who aren't a terribly good team at the minute, only just beaten by England, who also aren't a very good team at the minute. And the way the press kind of hailed it instantly straight after as a... a, a Good resounding victory for England when there's actually only a relatively late try that saw us more than a score ahead. Some serious head scratching needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say England were comfortable because obviously it was so close for so long, but England were the better team. Two not great teams, two teams certainly not in great form. Um, it could have been more comfortable. Obviously, Farrell had his kicking boots on, and I think the scoreline. Well, obviously that would have made it more comfortable. I think but that would have made it more comfortable sitting watching it and on the pitch as well. And I guess him missing those kind of made it a bit interesting. But, you know, in- England were the better side, but it's, I don't think we can get too excited by it really. I mean, they they, they, they did better than just scrape pass, but it wasn't a hugely resoundingly committed performance against what is a pretty poor Wales side. Um, and of course, they've got 
the two arguably hardest tests to come, you know, France and Ireland. And they're going to have to perform a hell of a lot better if they want to try and get results over them. I mean, yes, it's always nice to beat Wales, don't get me wrong, but it's, I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard to be that excited about it at the moment. I mean, England aren't going to, let's face it, England aren't going to win it. You know, the best we can hope for is probably third. Um, and, you know, and I think this England team isn't that good at the moment. I know, obviously, they're in a bit of a transition. We've got the new coaching staff, but... You know, I don't think there's a lot to get excited about yet, unfortunately. I mean, they could change that. They could get absolutely brilliant results against France and Ireland leading into the World Cup, which would be absolutely wonderful. But, you know, I still think England have it all to do, despite, you know, a fairly comfortable, reasonable win against Wales. Yeah, then elsewhere, um, Scotland, France, um, another game with 14 men, this time for both sides. Kind of your, your standard red cards happened, um, contact with the head. It actually made for quite a good game in the end. Um, obviously, we all stopped watching halfway through because the tune were at Wembley, but other half claims to be Scottish, although she's not. She was watching it on my phone and I kept having a quick look at the score. Not not a bad game, certainly not a bad finish. And then, um, obviously, the Italy game, uh, another valiant performance, but not quite enough to to really get back at Ireland. Yeah, I mean, France, Scotland, I mean, we talked about how Wales, England were two teams kind of desperately out of form. France, Scotland, obviously two teams very much in for two exciting teams. Um, and, you know, I think the result was a fair one in the end. I know, obviously, you had the excitement, I'll use that word again, of uh, both teams had 14 men. But I think France did edge I think France have a better consistent quality, which I know we haven't said that about France over the years, but I think they are kind of showing that now. And I think you, you, you would expect France to beat Scotland anyway. But I think even a... Revive Scotland, I think you would expect France to to beat them at home. And I think even with the, the 40 men either side, they did that. They had enough quality to, to see it out. And like I say, if Italy was a valiant performance, they kind of kept in the game. Um, kind of really they really had to make Ireland work for it. And we've seen that from Italy. You know, they can they can do that against the against the stronger nations. Um and it's just, you know, maybe I don't you just kind of hope Italy can get, you know, these more wins. Um, and kind of uh, for them, it's really a case of kind of turning these kind of promising performances into wins, isn't it? And, and they're still kind of struggling to that because there is there is still very much a gap between Italy and I think the other countries at the moment, with the exception of Wales, perhaps. Yes. Yeah, so um, while we're on the topic of victories, let's go through the scores this week. So on Friday night, Bath Nari lost out in the Southwest Derby to Bristol, thirteen points to fifteen. On Saturday, um, Saracens obviously beat us twenty nine twenty three with our valiant comeback. Northampton beat Gloucester 41 points to 34, and London Irish lost to Leicester 22 points to 25. Um, one game on Sunday, Exeter beating Sale 24 points to 22. So interestingly, every single game there had a losing bonus point in it. Um, that leaves the league table as follows. So, still out in the lead is Saracen 62 points, Sale have 51, Northampton 43, Gloucester 39, on 38 are both Exeter and Leicester, on 36 London Irish, 34 Harlequins who are in the last Heineken Cup spot, within a victory of them is Bristol with 31, we are two victories behind with 27, and Bath at the bottom with 25, two points behind us. In National League 1, teams of interest, um, Darlington Mountain Park, 27 points to 25 victors over Leeds Tykes. Remember them. Not a bad scoreline at all for Darlington Mountain Park. Um, National League 2, North. Tyndale beat Fylde 23 points to 12. And Bladen were heavily beaten by Sheffield 64 points to 5. Regional 1, North. You had Anik 42-10 over Paviers. And there was no game for Billingham this week. 
Um, that league table, if you're wondering, um, still very good for the Northeast contingent. Uh, Billingham out on top, uh, quite a margin now on 85 points. Driffield, team near near Hull-ish, they're on 72, and Annick are on 71, closely followed by Heath, who are on 68 points. So all to play for for Annick, and potentially two teams getting promoted from the Northeast there. So that would be a jolly good show. Um, regional 2 North, uh, victories for... Concert away at Carlisle, Northern away at Keswick, Penrith away at Morpeth, Morpeth beat Durham City at home, and South Shields Westo lost at home to Percy Park. Durham Northern Division 1. Um, interesting, there's a game on Tuesday night between Whitley Bay of Rockcliffe and Nova Castrians. Don't know why that was. Um, obviously, it didn't happen on the weekend, and neither of them had games on the Saturday. The Saturday when we had Acklam who lost to Hartlepool, Darnison lost to Gisborough, Pontian lost to Medicals, Sunderland got score of the week with a massive 113 points to 5 victory over Horden and Peter Lee, and West Hartlepool beat Hartlepool Rovers. Durham Northumberland 2, you had Ashington losing to Gateshead, Barnard Castle losing to Bishop Auckland, Sedgefield losing to Wrighton, End losing to Redker, Whitby beat North Shields, and Wynn Leighton beat Seam. Durham Northumberland Division 3, Salterman Park Elizabethans beat Yarm, Gosworth beat Blythe, and Proto Stocksfield lost at home to Seton Carew. So, there we are. Bit of a varied episode this week with strange bit of good cheer about a defeat at Saracens, but there you go. Something to hold our heads up high about. Catch you next week after, hopefully, uh, another strong performance, and this time five points against Sons Irish. So thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.